this is a piece of the desert. The desert is a wild and dangerous place with very little food and water. It is easy to get lost in the desert because the sand shifts and moves. And so people don't often go into the desert unless they have to. God brought the people through the waters into freedom, and Miriam led them in the dancing. Now that they could do anything that they wanted and go any place they wanted to go, what would be the best way? They traveled through the wilderness. It was hot. The people got hungry and thirsty. They even complained that perhaps they should go back to Egypt, to Pharaoh. But God showed them how to find what they needed. The people arrived at the great mountain. It was covered in fire and smoke. So the people did not dare touch the mountain. But Moses was able to go up and meet God. And at the top of Mount Sinai, in the smoke and the fire, God came so close to Moses, and Moses came so close to God that Moses knew what God wanted him to do. Moses took the ten best ways, or the ten commandments, back to the people. Now, the Ten Commandments are so precious that you can't just come close to them without getting ready. And so God told the people to create an ark, a golden box with poles for carrying so that the Ten Commandments and the Ten Best Ways could go with them wherever they went. But they still needed something else to get ready, so God showed them how to make an altar for incense, which they could burn, and then the sweet-smelling smoke would rise up and they could walk through it toward the ark. But even that was not enough, so God instructed them to make a table with 12 pieces of bread for each of the 12 tribes of Israel and a seven-branched lampstand. And now the people could walk in between the table with the bread and the lampstand and through the smoke and come close to the ark. They also made a tent. And the tent made the Holy of Holies a special place for the ark. But they did more to get ready. They covered the tent in goat leather, goat fur, and fine linen cloth woven with images of cherubim, and even more goatskin dyed red. And now only the priests could go into the tent. But there was more they needed to do to get ready. God had them build an archer's branch. 
altar covered in bronze and a bronze basin so the priest could wash and get ready for prayer. And around the whole tent, they made a fence that they could roll up and carry with them wherever they went. And the whole place was called the tabernacle. When it was finished, Moses blessed the tabernacle and Aaron and his sons became the priests and God gave Aaron and his sons these special words to bless the people. May God bless you and keep you. May God make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift his countenance up to you and grant you peace. Thanks be to God for this story of the tent and the tabernacle and the ways to get ready. the great mountain and the people of God and the desert. Please pray with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. This August, Katie and I are preaching a sermon series using a very wide-angle lens to explore Old Testament stories from Genesis and Exodus. We are seeking God in the unfamiliar and the unknown. Katie compared this exploration to a visit to the Impressionist Gallery at the Art Institute, Sometimes you come very close to the paintings and look at the brush strokes, and other times you step back and look at the whole composition. Today, we're going to step even farther back, maybe even out of the gallery, for a panoramic view of 13 chapters of text. The description of the tabernacle takes up one-third of the book of Exodus. It's an excruciatingly detailed description of the ark, the priestly vestments, and the tent for God in the wilderness. So it's not really a painting so much as a blueprint or maybe some interior design renderings. And perhaps because it reads a little bit more like an Ikea assembly manual than a narrative arc, these chapters aren't often read in worship. They aren't included in the lectionary. And in all my years of church, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on the tabernacle. But here we are. So it might be a little bit of dry reading unless you're fascinated by how to make lampstands. Some of the instructions say they'll be made of hammered work and they'll have cups and calyxes and petals and there'll be six branches and three on one side and three on the other. You get the idea. That goes on for a paragraph or more just about the lampstand. But if you've been to St. Peter's in Rome or to the National Cathedral or to Notre Dame or even the small country church where you go back to visit family, you know that ecclesiastical architecture teaches us and shapes us and forms us as a community of faith. The design of the tabernacle, which inspires elements of our modern day worship spaces, reflects who God is what God has done, and what God will do. Within the tabernacle description, we hear God's intention. 
They will know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. The word for tabernacle in Hebrew means to dwell, but it's a sojourning, nomadic kind of presence rather than a permanent stationary residence implied in this verb. In Exodus, God is on the move. God moves from the shrouded occasional presence at the top of Mount Sinai to the tent right at the center of camp. God's invisible presence will rest on the winged throne on top of the ark, and the wooden chest will be covered in gold and have poles for carrying God's throne wherever the people go. The ark will hold the covenant, and it will be God's footstool, this winged footstool, uh, winged throne and footstool image resembles images of other ancient thrones, like this one on the relief of a sarcophagus of a king from the about around 1000 BCE. God is close, but make mo- no mistake, God is not designing a cozy family room with broken-in couches where we can come and eat pizza and watch movies. The people are restricted to the outer courtyard. Only the priests can go into the tent, and only once a year are they allowed into the Holy of Holies near the Ark. God, who in the beginning creates a divinely ordered universe out of chaos, creates a divinely ordered environment for worship in the wilderness. And the people in the story are on the move as well. God moves them from Egypt into the wilderness, and their response should be a movement to worship. The tabernacle should be the first thing that people who were forced to make bricks for Pharaoh are allowed to make in freedom. But instead, they build a golden calf. Perhaps you notice that these chapters about the tabernacle in Exodus are broken into two chunks. What lies between them is the familiar story of disobedience and idolatry with the golden calf. You see, Moses receives the Ten Commandments and agrees, and the people agree verbally, and then God calls Moses back to the mountain to receive the stone tablets. And during his 40-day and 40-night stay at the Mount Sinai Motel, God also gives Moses the detailed blueprints for the tabernacle. So that's the first chunk of the text, chapters 25 through 31. But their design session is interrupted when God tells Moses that the people have been worshiping this golden calf. So Moses rushes down the mountain with the stone tablets, still with fresh chisel marks in them. Already the people have violated the covenant, and so God destroys the tablets and the calf. Moses destroys the tablets and the calf, and God is enraged and threatens to call off the whole agreement. But with persistence, Moses convinces God to remain in the covenant with these, quote, stiff-necked people. With the fragile agreement restored, the actual tabernacle is built, and that's described in the second set of chapters. And interspersed throughout all of this are instructions for the Sabbath. Because just as the the tabernacle creates a holy space for worship, Sabbath creates holy time. And so the creation narrative is woven within this story of Exodus. In it we read, Sabbath is a sign for all time that for six days God made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day God stopped and was refreshed. God 
God saves the people twice, first from Egyptian oppression and then from themselves. And this story of the tabernacle is one of many that illustrates this ancient cycle of God creating, humans separating, and God recreating. When we zoom even further out from this text to see the whole scope of Israelite history, we discover that this part of the text was most likely inserted hundreds of years later by priestly writers living in the time of exile, when the people of Israel were forcibly separated from their community and their temple by a foreign power. They wrote with longing. These people who could not access their holy spaces and rituals wrote a detailed account of a sacred space from communal memory or imagination. The familiarity of the cycle of creation, separation, and recreation provides hope to every age. God liberates. God dwells with, with, with us. God is Lord. And so the divine work of redemption and recreation doesn't stop with our human failings. Thanks be to God. This blueprint speaks to the hearts of those who long for the restoration of Notre Dame Cathedral, which I heard this week is scheduled to open in 2024. And this text speaks to all of us who have been separated from our sacred spaces and our sacred rituals for two and a half years of pandemic life. Doing the best we could to keep one another safe was good and right. We learned to worship online or wherever we found ourselves. We moved our worship outside. And we find that God is in those spaces too. God dwells with the people and God moves with the camp. Thanks be to God. Pastors continue to wrestle with pandemic-related challenges of gathering people together in our church buildings. And these stories of exodus and exile can be a guide to making sense of a world where online worship is very necessary and very real. At the same time, we know that our church buildings are being sold and transformed into everything from trapeze schools to affordable housing. Some pastors, like Bill and Katie and I, still get to preach in beautiful buildings. Responding to an increasingly digital world, one colleague wrote, what is the purpose of all of this church beauty? And then boldly came up with an answer. If God uses beauty for transformative purposes, then beauty must change us. Sacred spaces echo heavenly beauty into our imaginations. The world within a sanctuary shapes the way we understand the world outside of it and the way that we act in it. So friends, take a look at our tabernacle-like three-part structure of this space, which moves us from the secular world at the edge of the narthex into the sanctuary with this long aisle of pilgrimage to come to this chancel where we can lift our eyes and adore God. Could our pyramids still remind us of the thin veil that separates heaven and earth? After worship, I invite you to come up and take a close look at the wooden carvings, double symbols of creation, and Jesus, the true vine. Look at the beautiful stone of the altar where we place our gifts to God. Look up at the perfect symmetry of the roof line, which draws our attention away from the chaos of our lives toward God's order. And look around you to the people gathered here 
each of them carrying a portion of the light of God into our presence. Since ancient times, our access to sanctuaries has never been a guarantee. I know that there are many online right now with us who long to join us in this sacred space, and I pray with you and them that that day will one day be possible. Our online worshipers are an essential part of this church community. And God is a God on the move. God will always find a way to dwell near. And when we have the freedom and the ability and the privilege to worship God in our church buildings, may they remind us that God is one magnificent architect. Our sanctuary is the sacred space where every candle and carving points to God's presence. Every hue and liturgical pattern meant to evoke God's beautifully ordered creation. Every window radiating with wonder and awe for a God whose ongoing redemption and restoration of all creation will not cease until earth becomes heaven's tabernacle of worship and praise to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.